Alrighty, welcome back to The Ferment, everyone. Very exciting to be back with you, Catherine. How are you today? I'm great. So good to be here. I feel like it's been a bit of a break between doing The Ferment, or at least doing it together. Long time between ferment drinks. (laughs) (laughs) And just looking around the table here, I see a cup of tea and some water. So I'm going to put a little note in The Ferment tea room to say it's going to be wine next time we do this okay sounds good yeah we we can afford more than water (laughs) at a winery (laughs) now Catherine have you been out and about doing anything I think last time I saw you were just about to head up the snow yes so the snow has been falling on the mountains behind us so that always puts a big smile on my face and uh, my little two-year-old Harry uh, has been on skis oh nice I'm officially the crazy ski mum yep. um, out on the hill with this little marshmallow of a kid, but I'm having a great time with it. Classic. It was Dominic's birthday a little while ago and I bought him, ridiculous, I've spent way too much money on it, but a, a three-ski little snow sled you know, with a steering wheel on it and went up with some friends to Mount Stirling, just to the toboggan run there, and we were with about a nine-year-old part of our friend's family. And I said, oh, do you want to have a go on the snow sled on your own? And he goes, oh, yeah, no worries. And he, he goes down and I said, now, just make sure you've got your feet out on the snow. Anyway, jumps on, feet straight onto the skis, flat out straight into the barrier and broke the ski straight off the front. <laughs> so we had it for about half an hour and the front thing's busted and I, I, I'm a, a very understanding <laughs> And you can imagine me moping around for the rest of the day. Just going, oh, bloody kid broke my ski. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, boy. Anyway, we're here with Loretta. How are you today, Loretta Emma? I am very well, thank you, Harry. Uh, so good to have you on the ferment. I, I don't know about kind. you, Catherine, but usually not more than a week after we release a podcast we walk past Loretta's desk and she's like oh that one was so good like it feels like Loretta's one of our biggest fans so it's nice to know that someone listens happy to support you Harry always <laughs> you too KB thank you oh I, I almost forgot I've got one other story hilarious quick story Emma and I did a live hookup Emma and I were at the cellar door here and Wangaratta Council, City Council, had a whole visit Wangaratta media campaign going. So they had Spencer Street Station in Melbourne totally decked out with, um, like they had a hot air balloon basket with balloons running off it. They had a bike for the, the rail trails and everything around the area. And so we were on a screen down there talking to people as they were just about to start their evening commute home and saying, you know, look, come and have a, t- uh, you know, we're from Brown Brothers here in northeast Victoria. Do you like white or red wine? And if they said white, we go, okay, we've got Prosecco here. There's three aromas that are found in Prosecco. You smell the aromas, see if you can tell us what they are. They'd be like, oh, lemon, yeah, lemon. And Emma and I are like bigging them up and everything like this. So this is going on for like an hour and 45 minutes. We're meant to go for two. And out of the back of the vision, you could see this guy on his bike and a green helmet and he just did a 90 degree straight at the camera. And he's, he's like pushed whoever was, I can't remember, someone was talking to him, but he's got in and he goes, what's going on here? And we're like, oh, no. And, and I was like, oh, how are you going, mate, like this? And it, Emma's already lost it. She's gone ex- exit strange right. Anyway, this the lady that's over on that side, oh, we've got a, virtu- a, a hookup with uh, Brown Brothers in northeast Victoria. He goes, oh, right, wow. He goes, 
do you know what you get if you stick Winnie the Pooh in the freezer? <laughs> Sif shit! <laughs> and then just oh, went off the screen. Oh, <laughs> you can't. Yeah, and, and the lady that. the lady who was running the thing, she couldn't she couldn't get the button quick enough to, to cut him off. <laughs> it was so great. Oh gosh. Anyway, so now, <laughs> I digress. Yeah. I digress. I'm sorry, everyone. Trying now, to myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now, Loretta, we've done a bit of digging and you've been with us for quite some time now at Brown Family Wine Group. You're up to 15 years. Oh, my God. Where has that time gone? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> some days it just feels like yesterday, but there's so much has happened in that time. Like I've had um, the good fortune to... Service three CEOs, you know, um, two chairmen, three chairmans actually. Both my children were married. I've become a grandmother during that time. So a lot's happened. So I guess 15 years sounds about right. <laughs> and and you've always been in the executive – like I can't remember you in another role. No. You've always been in the executive assistant always role. Always been in the EA role, yep. Yeah. At the ferment, we'll dig deeper into that executive assistant role as this uh, this episode goes on. But we always like to dig into the background and get a bit of goss about uh, how you <laughs> how how it came that Loretta Emma ended up here at, at Brown Family Wine Group. So, can you tell us uh, our listeners a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like? Yes, I grew up in a small mining town called Broken Hill in New South Wales. My Mother's family were uh, Lebanese and my dad's family was Irish. They, My mother was from Sydney and dad's um, extended family were from Sydney. That's how they met and ended up in Broken Hill, which is where my father's family was. So I started school there. It was a really carefree, dusty existence. Broken Hill is like that. But I have only fond memories of that time there. The closest local city was Adelaide, um, so a bit like... Here is Albury, for example, or Melbourne. We would travel to Adelaide quite a bit. What was that drive time? It's about it's about the same oh. as coming from Murderford, so about three and a half hours. But back then, you, we trained it a lot, you know. So, but I remember it was a big deal to go to Adelaide. <laughs> so, and what took the family to Broken Hill from Sydney to Broken Hill? Was there um, job opportunities or something like that? Both Dad and my grandfather worked on the mines. Yep. And then they started their own transport company. So they ran fresh fruit from Adelaide to Broken Hill, a bit like we, back in the day, Wangaratta would have got fresh fruit from the city and seafood from Melbourne and things like that. It was like that. So that kept us there for quite a while. And then did you move on from Broken Hill for high school? Yes, we did. We moved to Broken Hill so I could start high school in Adelaide. Dad worked for a transport firm then. Um, his father came with us. My grandmother had passed away. And so we were there until I was 13 and then moved to Sydney to be closer to mum and my mother's family and I finished high school there. And knowing your personality quite well, I imagine you would have been very good at school. Is this true? Did you enjoy school? I loved school. I was very studious and we had to work hard, but I did well, but it didn't come naturally. So I studied a lot. I also felt a great responsibility because, you know, I went to a lovely college and I really did want to go on to university. So I remember meeting Adrian inconveniently a year before I finished high school and I used to say to him, well, I can't date you during the week. <laughs> you can only 
date me when I finished my studies. So he was very patient during that final year of school. This is is how pre-Tinder dating worked. (laughs) It is. So he was very tenacious and he he kept, uh, yeah, ringing me on the weekends. And so for a year we did that. So he was courteous and tenacious. He was courteous and tenacious. (laughs) No wonder this is the person you ended up marrying. He was the person, uh, yeah. Kudos for effort. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Besides avoiding boys during your time at high school, did you have extracurricular activities that kept you busy? Yes, we always – I did did ballet for quite a number of years and then I was always athletic, you know, played tennis, we swam – Always into anything that was going at school, sports-wise. Yeah, very interesting. So that kept me busy and always made sure I had a bit of a balance of that too because otherwise I'd be sitting studying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and music? What about an instrument or anything like that? Did you play anything? I or? didn't play any music, but I uh, didn't physically play any music, but I did play heaps of records, <laughs> loudly. <laughs> what, what was on the Loretta Emma playlist back in those days, do you remember? Yeah, well, I had a very 60s bent on music, and, and I, that was before my time, not long before my time, but I used to love the Beatles and Elvis, and, and but then I also loved Simon and Garfunkel and just would play that on repeat over and over, and Carole King I wore out, I don't know, twice I wore out her double album, and then Adrian Lee got me. I still have the digitally mastered CD set because I wore it. So I was a bit ballady. Oh, but, but it doesn't sound the same as it used to. No, it doesn't. But, yeah, I loved all sorts of music, really. I still do, yeah. Pretty eclectic taste. Through all that studying, did you have a dream of what you were going to do post-high school? And uh, did that dream come true for you? It didn't, actually. It's interesting, you know, as a... Well, for a very long time I wanted to be an archaeologist but then when I was in high school and got more serious about what would, uh, what would really interest me, I, you know, I was always on the committees at school and um, debating team and really had a hankering to make a difference and I thought I'll be one of those really honest journalists, you know, <laughs> that's what <laughs> I'll do. Um, and that then sort of lent me, I was quite interested in law at that time too, so... Yeah, in the end, I'd, that's what I applied to do at uni. The the archaeologist thing, uh, I remember you uh, might have done a trip with John G or John G told you to go to this spot and there was like a whole pile of rocks Christian. there. And I, I, when you showed it to me, I was like, okay, it's a pile of rocks. But <laughs> apparently there's a whole sort of story around a lot of those things going back a long time. Yeah, they're, sometimes they're called prayer stones and sometimes they're cans. But the ones that I'm particularly interested in are prayer stones. And so I, the ones that I walk to see with John, I do think, are prayer stones. And you see them, nearly everybody would have seen them in lots of places, usually high altitude. So many times when I've been overseas, I'll see them if I'm hiking. It's a bit of a Buddhist practice. And so they mark a grave or a special intention the Buddhist say that if you're closer to God or whoever they perceive, Buddha, um, the most the beauty of the place that you're in, that's why you build the prayer stones because that's where a loved one rests or there's a special reason. And so I've been fortunate to see very, lots and lots and I'm quite fascinated by them. So did you end up going to university? I didn't. I got into university and I asked – I didn't beg, but I did ask my parents. <laughs> I really would like to have a gap year. 
And so they said, well, if you work, you can have a gap year. So I did. <laughs> and, I, and I started my first job and I never went to university. I actually deferred a second year, but I never did go to university. So <laughs> there you go. Yep, so I gave it a miss. And, I and, did. Yeah. And look, it's, it's funny. Like it's, uh, we've interviewed a lot of people on the ferment and, you know, we've got people that have gone down the book path, but probably more that have come into our business have not gone to university and just done their own thing and gotten their skills through work and growing in their exactly in their, in their di- different places of in different environments and it's you know there's no right or wrong in terms of how that uh, that comes about also we better concentrate on the work career <laughs> so do you remember what your very first job was and how old you were well when I first my very first job was at a hardware it's sort of like Bunnings but it was a bit of a variety store so it had hardware and clothes and records and all sorts of things and I worked there from the age of 15 right through school sad days and all holidays and the record department so I got to play the music because you'd have it playing in the background as you walked into the store so I remember having Carly Simon on repeat that much that the man in the menswear came over and said we have no other records. <laughs> so, um, but it was lovely. I had a, a great time there, made lots of friends. And, um, yeah, and then reality hit. I had to find a real job <laughs> after that one. Did you – it would have been excellent as a 15-year-old to – you know, like the person who was looking after power tools couldn't come in that day and Loretta <laughs> Emma starts going around showing the big tradies how the hammer drill works. And <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually ever get that gig, but I did do a, a couple of students elsewhere around that store I can tell you. (laughs) Uh, All right so uh, if that was your first job what was the sort of career path on the way to joining Brown Family Wine Group? Yeah I guess the the next job was a really it was a I I got a scholarship to work at the bank which I didn't take up but the next job I was always at always interested in numbers so I worked for an actuary and not many people there aren't (laughs) many people that know what an actuary is but in every insurance company there is an actuary and they have many other applications as well but I worked for Sun Alliance Life Insurance and that was my very first serious job and I loved it and I worked for the actuary I was his assistant so what they do is when they sell insurance they have to understand what the life expectancy of the policyholder is and that's why they go through your your <laughs> do you smoke what's your blood pressure all of oh, that yeah. sort of stuff and how many glasses of wine <laughs> do you have per <laughs> night <laughs> it was quite it was a fascinating and I, yeah it was a fascinating there was only three of us in that particular department it was in the city of sydney and so there was lots of um favorite pub nights and stuff it was a great first job and i stayed there for quite a few years actually really oh, enjoyed that i job. remember the first car insurance policy <laughs> i went for and they said um do you drink <laughs> yes or no and i'm looking i was like is there like a sometimes <laughs> collar and the lady goes no and i said well I guess it's yes then. And she goes, thank you for being honest. I'll give you a 10% discount. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Okay. (laughs) Very good. The other option was, thank you for not drinking. I'll give you a 10% discount. (laughs) That's right. Your life expectancy has just grown. We want your your business. (laughs) Regardless. Oh, Oh, very good. And where to next after there? Look, I haven't had many jobs. I've been very fortunate. After there... We had our family, we got married, we had our family. I got engaged while I was at that insurance 
Are you let Adrian actually hang out with you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> At that stage, it was a full-time it was. <laughs> relationship. <laughs> and Adrian had friends down in this area, really close family friends from his childhood, and we just really thought, you know, let's bring the kids up in the country. So way before tree changes were fashionable, I guess, the problem we had is it was very difficult to find jobs in the roles we wanted in a small country town so we bought a little cafe we had a real estate agent watching out for us for over a year and um, he said look you know if you're serious about coming down you probably need to buy something small and then be resident and then you'll have more options about what you, you know your job prospects so we did that for a couple of years in Murderford and then the children started school while we had that business then we thought, no, we'll sell. We were, we, Adrian got a really good job. He was a, a rep and loved it. And I thought, right, I need to start looking around. And someone approached me to fill in a uh, long service leave position as receptionist and a bookkeeper and a real estate agent in Murderford. So that was eight weeks and I did that. And during that time I heard one of the logging companies, Green Freight, their family business, the Green family, were looking for someone. And so I, I just popped in in my lunch hour during that, you know, real estate um, t- um, job and they rang me the very next day and said, you know, we'd love you to start. We understand you can't start for a little while. You know, I think you've got what we need. So And so I stayed there for 16 years. Wow. <laughs> so that was, uh, I, yeah, I helped. I did a sort of similar role to here. I was assistant to the family, um, also the manager of the Murderford office which was the biggest head office for them. And they also had offices in Melbourne and Albury and Sydney at the time. So that was a lovely part of my life as well. A lot happened during that time. Yeah, it was, it was a really – I look back with very fond memories and still have dear friends from that time. Well, that, that's a good thing because every time you drive past one of the trucks, <laughs> you can go, oh. Yeah, I don't know all the uh, number plates like I used to, but I just still do know quite a few people, some of the drivers. And then from there, I thought, right, Murderford's not, I was, I don't know what age I was, but I thought, oh, I need to probably do something that, you know, I'm interested in, but it's different. So I tried an accountant's office for seven years. Um, Tried. Yeah. <laughs> I must say, I learned a lot during that time. GST came in and I really had my own clients, you know. I, I, it was enjoyable in that I made lots of new friends. But accounting is very repetitive. So <laughs> once the calendar year finishes, you start again. <laughs> so I found it a bit stifling, to be honest. I was very grateful for what I learned because that's held me in very good stead for this job. So I don't regret it at all. I've got a couple of questions. So Green Freight, like you think about, it's quite incredible actually, you know, Canny's Carrying Company here in Wangaratta, a really big freight company but in yeah. quite close proximity to Myrtleford yes. and also sounds like a really big freight company. So mm-hmm. Canny sort of grew up distributing our wine and, and you know, a number of other things in the area. What did Green Freight what was their sort of core business of delivering around the country? Logging. 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 They did have a general freight business up the east coast, but that grew sort of later, their infancy and most of the time that I was there, 
the biggest revenue driver was logging, but they also harvested the forests. So it had oh. a harvesting crews as well as carting the logs. Yep. So then they also branched out into Tumbarumba Tumid area where there's lots of forests. And we had a depot there for a time too, but that was their main business. And the cafe in Myrtleford, just to sort of step back a couple, what was the, that like? Was it just a really easy going or was it, um, you know, did you have high-end coffee or was it the... No, of- it was called the Tuck Shop, shop spelled double P-E. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we loved it because we knew no one. <laughs> so we, the friends that we made in that business we still have today also... I was a city girl and I didn't really understand country living and so there were a lot of people I don't ha- aren't my friends today because they virtually just want to know who you are. Mm-hmm. So that was a real baptism of fire for us in a small town. But I, only good memories there as well. We opened just for lunch, we closed after lunch and then so I did a lot of cooking but I could do it at home because the children were little and I'd bring it in for lunchtime and Adrian did the early opening. We always were there for – but I think it was gourmet <laughs> when I think back. We got we had so many people that still remember coming in for the, and we'd know their standard sandwich or whatever. Also, I was invited to play tennis with women that, that I played for 20 years with afterwards. So it was a really lovely – experience but also an, an introduction to country life as well so it takes a bit of getting used to when you're from the city <laughs> and what was the signature dish oh the, gee that's a very shop? good well <laughs> we made jaffles which were we couldn't keep enough filling for you know the old jaffles that you're in the jaffle irons they were a big hit but we also had curries and uh, we had sugar cinnamon donuts which we used to do ourselves so people could see them getting done yeah we actually had a great time yeah a great time it's getting close to the end of the day so that's enough of the food front everyone's stomach can you hear our stomachs going (laughs) so from working in the accountant's office what got you to brown family wine group how did you hear about the role it was quite fascinating because the children had bought us a weekend at lindenwara for our 25th wedding anniversary and so we were, you know, just we had a massage in the works and Adrian was reading the border mail and he said, you could do this job. And I said, oh, do I want a new job? And he said, you could do this job. So he showed me the advertisement, which was being advertised that Saturday morning. And I looked at it and I, would, I don't normally think, oh, yes, I can do that. But as I looked through it, I thought, gee, I think he's right. You know, I think I can do that job. So, yeah, I don't, I'm not really one that I usually think about it and then the, uh, the application date is passed or something like that. But the very next day I rang for the application to be sent. I'll never forget, Kobe answered the phone and she sent it out to me and I yeah, did my application for it and, yeah, was included in the interview. So I remember dressing like you would to go to a city job so I high heels and everything and walking down the gravel in front of the customer service wing which I didn't know was a customer service wing and years later the girl said to me we thought wow she's really dressed up <laughs> <laughs> so I was really pleased I hadn't seen any of the other applicants because I don't know whether I overdid it or underdid it I still don't know <laughs> I believe at the time uh, it was dad Ross that was interviewing for the role yes 
And am I right in saying it just so happened that you actually worked with one of Dad's very good friends at Green Freight? <laughs> And I believe that Dad picked up the phone to have a bit of a chat about him, about you, sorry, with him. And all he could say was, you have to like, get her, you have to get her. <laughs> and that's a true story, actually. I was very nervous when I saw Ross because I thought, this is Ross Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so I, I, did, I did put him down as a referee, but I, the, my green freight boss... But not really knowing that they were close friends or anything, really, only that I didn't have many referees because I didn't have many jobs. <laughs> so anyway, I was delighted and really that friend and his wife celebrated <laughs> with me for getting the job and it was the most amazing, real, really amazing coincidence in a way because I didn't realise that Ross... Well, I guess he had to ring him because I didn't have many referees. I only had two referees, so it was amazing, yeah. But it absolutely shows that holding good relationships from past roles... Absolutely. Isn't it just so it's, important? It is so important, yeah. And I think Dad still buys that friend a bottle of very good wine every year to say <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's nice, thank you. Okay, let's get into the nitty-gritty about your role from my time of working with you. Um, I believe that we can't even write down everything that you get done in an hour, <laughs> let alone a day or a week. But tell us, what does the executive assistant role entail? I've thought about this so often. It's really difficult. I think the primary source of my role is to look after the CEO. That's one of the things that I do on a day-to-day basis. But I'm also the conduit between the business and the family, which involves making sure, uh, you know, family know where they need to be or uh, information sharing as well as the board. So I guess the biggest thing I would say to anyone, it's really, it is an assistant, you're their helper. So I always think to myself, what's my KPI, what's my value to the business? And it's making them more valuable to the business. So that means I have to decipher a heap of information and say, right, you know, you need to be there, you need to be here or which way do you want me to do this? Or So it's a, it's a mixture of making them the best that they can be for the business because they are really important people and so it's a great privilege to have the role actually. Yeah, that's what I think. That's a, an overview of how I see what I do. <laughs> you could easily say that it's one of... It is the most important role in the business because it essentially te- keeps everything ticking. Oh, thank you. <laughs> There's a, a lot of responsibility, uh, I have to say. I think the reason that I, it suits me because I'm quite a disciplined person, I'm quite usually quite private. I've answered a lot of questions here. <laughs> <laughs> usually quite private and confidentiality comes... It's quite easy for me. So I think they're... Their values that I would say to someone in taking a role like this that you sort of need to speak when you're spoken to and not when you're not, and also you don't share anything. So it, it, it's a practice, I guess. Yeah, it's experience, I guess. Yeah. And the fact that you're organising everyone else's lives, <laughs> I'm guessing that you have to be very well organised yourself. Yes, I, I I would say I'm a a really well organised person. I like. like you know, everything has a place and there's a place for everything, it helps enormously in this role. I mean, you wouldn't, you would trip up if you weren't. And I remember one of my very first catch-ups, there was a few things that 
Ross was shared his wisdom with me, and one thing that's become a mantra is do one thing well rather than too poorly. And by that he meant when Ross was CEO, he was also uh, at a function every night of the week on several committees for the business. And so it would be right, do we do this RSVP or do we do that RSVP and do you want to be in London that week or do you want to be in Australia? So it's a matter of an assessment and then compartmentalising your priorities. That's what I always say. So you actually, yeah, you can't afford to trip up. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one story that does come to mind about not a day-to-day role of the executive assistant but something that you got thrown into was organising a dog for the (laughs) Wine Dogs book. (laughs) Yeah. Can you you tell us a little bit about this request? (laughs) That was, uh, yeah, that... It's not written into the position of <laughs> description, but nonetheless, yes, Frost was in Melbourne and Wine Dogs Australia do a dog a, a book about beautiful dogs and wine winery owners that own a dog and that sells in cellar doors all over Australia. So Brown Brothers had agreed that we would do that and Ross so normally the dog is photographed on the property of the owner. And there's a you know, little bit of a blurb about the dog and the owner and the family. So the day that the photographer was coming from Sydney to take the photos of the dog, Gus, um, Ross was in Melbourne. And they, they, only, they do regional regions, so we couldn't miss the shoot. So I get a phone call from Ross saying, I need you to go home, take Gus out of the race, meet the photographer there... And he's just going to do a photo shoot in the vineyard. I thought, okay. I had heels on and stockings on that day, but that's, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, no worries. What time? So I get Ross, who is the most beautiful dog retriever. We, the ph- photographer arrives, everything's going swimmingly. We, I said, oh, this is the, you know, the vineyard. I take him around and at the end of the vineyard, one of the vine rows, there was a stack of prawn shells. So if you know anything about Labradors or long-haired retrievers, all food is, is good food. So he then hoed into this stack of prawn shells, which I was pulling out of his mouth while the photographer was trying to position him in the vines. The photographer had squeaky toys in his pocket. Anyway, we finally dragged him away from the smell of the food into the vines, and I'm happy to say we got the shoot, was published, and it was a beautiful photo of Gus. <laughs> Only one ladder in my stocking. <laughs> what were the prawn shells doing there? Oh, I, I think they might have had something to do with a yabby net. Oh, no. <laughs> if I know my family very well, right. they were being used as yabby bait in the lake, which is next to the right, end of the vine rows. to the vine rows. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, dear. Uh, yeah, that was over and above, and he did – Acknowledge that. <laughs> uh, classic. Yeah. Well, and look, it's it's su- such you know it's so admirable the way that you you know can do those sorts of things, <laughs> but also run the calendars of so many people. And you know, as you say, you don't want to make mistakes when you're working with chairmen's and board and CEOs and so on. And but you, you do it with such a great 
passion and 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 you Thank you know you. you're always so fun and vibrant <laughs> and every time you walk past you always well I know sometimes you don't look like you're having a great time but most <laughs> I would say at least 96 97 percent of the time you look like you're really enjoying Thanks, what you're Harry. doing as well so I do it's quite it's, it's quite incredible so let, let's change shift a little bit can you share a little bit about your family and what keeps you motivated outside of work yeah I think Everybody knows I really love being with my family. We were young parents, so we've done so much with our own kids, played tennis with them competitively and just amazing memories, skied with them and now they're children. So we're, we really that really is our proudest achievement, I'd have to say. So I love doing that. We, we've travelled a fair bit. We didn't start travelling until quite late in life, but we have seen a lot of the world and I love that too. And I love to walk. If you know me, I'm a big bushwalker, so that is my happy place and my place for me. So I walk as much as I can. On the walking side of things, I do recall a few years back that you were talking about this incredible walk that you did in Europe. Can you share with the Ferment listeners a little bit about that? I can. I walked from a small place in France, 799 kilometres is the official distance, (laughs) Up over the Pyrenees and across Spain to the west coast. So it was flat. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, It it became quite an obsession with me. um, One of my uncles had walked it and showed me the photos and I thought to myself, you know, that's a challenge an individual could give to oneself and you don't really need any skills, you just need to be healthy and know what you're doing. So I read everything I could for five years and then I looked after myself and got myself ready to go and, yeah, I walked for 36 days straight. <laughs> it's incredible. But it, it's quite funny because like, I know like, I, I don't do walking, <laughs> I do running. Yes. But I'm sure there's a thousand books on walking but do they all go, you've just got to put one foot in front of the other? <laughs> I'm that's sure it's very technical. And <laughs> No, that's not the sort of reading I mean. I was more heart rate, yep. uh, keeping your heart in a healthy range, the terrain. I broke down the 799 kilometres into what I felt I could do. I had a maximum of 36 days. What was the least time? What was the most time people had walked it? That's the sort of research I did. Walking's easy. That part's easy. One foot in front of the other is <laughs> unchanged. <laughs> and, like, I mean, I don't know, but, like, did you do it all in one pair of shoes or...? I did. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I did. I feel like I should have them bronzed. <laughs> I wore them for a year before for all the training and I did a lot of research on shoes. I'll bet, I'll bet. <laughs> so there were every... Now, now you're talking my wheelhouse. <laughs> You've got to... Um, your legs and your... Well, your body is the thing that's going to let you complete the walk. I knew that. Everything else can go wrong. But if you have no feet left, you can't finish. And I'm very determined. So I, there are so many people with agonising blisters that still limped in to to do that distance and I was just so even socks (laughs) I read about socks but all of it makes a huge difference I also read about how the Germans walk it how the French walk it because they walk long distances a lot and so yeah 
Very cool. <laughs> and so, and obviously still a huge passion, the walking side of things. Have you got any plans for some big walks coming up? What do you um, I don't think I'd ever do that distance again. I blew out a couple of tendons and a few other things. <laughs> so I, that it took a lot of uh, recuperative time. So the, I have a real hankering to walk coast to coast of Scotland. It requires quite a lot of training because it's quite mountainous too. So... I think I still got that in me, though. <laughs> Can't quite forget it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> thank, thank you. So, Loretta, we know you're an avid listener, so you'll know that at the end of each interview, uh, we do have some questions that we like to ask. Mm-hmm. So, what was the first wine you remember trying? Well, <laughs> Ross asked me, was I a wine drinker? And I didn't drink a lot of wine when I came here. <laughs> but Adrian's father was Italian and he used to make his homebrew each year which was quite good. It was a red and that was my first wine. Did you remember anything about varietals or anything like that? No, I actually, uh, I wonder what, he used to go to the market and buy the grapes. So I don't know what the varietal was, but I guess if you, if I thought of anything, it was like a light Shiraz taste. Yeah. So yeah, but he was a good winemaker. I'm not sure about the alcohol content. (laughs) 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 And he made a very fine grappa. (laughs) What's your favourite wine within the Brown Family Wine Group portfolio? I really love the IB Rosé and also the limited release Jerif, I'd have to say, were my... But, you know, over the years, Vermentino's been my favourite, Alberino. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but I'm usually a really flinty, dry... Or a Jerif's my favourite red. Yeah, mm, especially with this sort of weather. Yes, <laughs> I know at this time of year, Jerif is usually number one in Salador. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a nice in front of the fire type wine <laughs> with a good bit of bitey cheese. Yes, <laughs> so good. <laughs> and what wine would you drink that's not ours? Yeah, actually, I'm very loyal, so I don't. I try never <laughs> to drink. Actually, I went into a. a um, liquor store and asked for a Brown Brothers Prosecco and they didn't stock it and I went, sorry, you just lost a sale. Oh, <laughs> so where, where, where is this store? We need to get, we need to walk in the door. Main Beach in Queensland but Prosecco was new at the time yeah. but still, Pazziniane I love so yeah. Beautiful wine. Yeah. And who are you most grateful for this week? So much to be grateful for. Anyone that helps me get through the day, and I want to say that this job needs help from lots of people, so I have had a couple of big helpers this week. It's made a difference. And Adrian, who's cooking this week. So, all good. Is it his week? Like, do you go <laughs> week to week? Look, I usually um, pitch in, but he he's discovered cooking recently trust me but he's very good at it and i give him all the encouragement possible (laughs) and the the free space (laughs) exactly don't let me get in your way no so he's cooking tonight yes love a husband that cooks yes (laughs) me too (laughs) and what are you most looking forward to over the next six months Mm, that's a very good question new adventures maybe we'll have the courage to go overseas again it's been a few years now so I don't know, but a good holiday. Yeah, new adventures, whether it's here or away. (laughs) Lovely. Now, thank you so much, Loretta, for coming in and being on The Ferment today. It's been a long time coming. Harry and I have spoken about this moment so many times and it's it's been wonderful. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, We've loved finding out just that little bit more about you 
and just peeled her open a little bit. <laughs> a little just, bit. just, just, <laughs> we don't get, we don't get to get everything. <laughs> I feel it's a bit similar to talking to Fran. Like, yeah, we, exactly. we just get those little extra sound bites that we hadn't heard from them before. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much, and we look forward to catching up for a glass of innocent bystander rosé very soon. Thank you very much, Harry and Catherine. I really appreciate it. How good was that, everyone? If you have any feedback for us at The Ferment, please send us an email, theferment at brownfwg.com.au. Also, don't forget to check out our Tasting Note podcast. Thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard, look out for each other.